welcome to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar in January 2021 with my colleagues and former principals Billy Green and Terry Toomey. The topic of this webinar was tough schools, how to thrive in a challenging environment. The first question I had for Billy Green was why are some schools tougher than others? Very good question, Ian, and I'm very wary of my answer here because what I don't want to do is start stereotyping and pigeonholing. Um, but there are a whole range of factors that feed into why schools are potentially tough, but that does not necessarily mean that they will be tough, and that does not necessarily mean that any of the factors that I identify here will uh, result in the school being tough. So there's a whole range of things that are operating in school environments. And I think, you know, the, the very first thing that we need to concede about schools is that they are really dynamic places. And there are so many influences on them, both inside and outside, and uh, that's going to uh, make a huge difference to um, what you will encounter when you uh, turn up there as a um, CRT. So. I'll give you a couple of ideas and nothing too specific and I and be wary that uh, don't fall into uh, easy traps and assumptions because um, that's how we get, you're going to end up making mistakes. So for my own career, um, I've worked in a whole range of schools. I ended up in a very um, uh, stable environment and it was a, you know, we, we would not in any way have been, oh, well, uh, no, we wouldn't have been called a tough school unless um, you were talking about the parents, but um, that's a completely different issue. Are we doing a topic on those? No. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I shouldn't know. I shouldn't joke. But there's a whole range of factors. Now, we can fall into the easy one of uh, socioeconomic um, disadvantage can lead to, and it potentially can, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that because you can work in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas with high aspirational uh, families and students with uh, very well organized schools and they're not tough at all. Uh, and you could go down the road to a school that's had for a number of different reasons, uh, significant disruption, their school culture is not the same, even though socioeconomic area is similar and that school will be difficult. I even encountered it at a school, one of the schools I worked at, where we had uh, significant difficulties with the school. It would have been considered a pretty tough school, I would imagine. Uh, it was tough just being there day to day and it would have been definitely tough for a, um, for a, a CRT. We took on board as this is one of the first priorities. Now, for those people who are not familiar with the uh, government system, we have strategic plans that run over three or four years. I think they originally used to be three years, Terry, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. And you would nominate areas in your school. So it might be English or science or computer literacy or something, whatever it is. But we nominated back in the day, and this was quite a long, this was a long time ago, that behaviour management was the issue that we had to get across and, and, and cultural issues. It took us the three years, I would say, two or three years to get to spin those things around. So you're not really changing the cohort that much. You're not changing the socioeconomic uh, situation of the, the parents that much in two or three years. But it spun that community around, our school community around 180 degrees. And the school went from being a tough school to a school that was on the path to becoming something else altogether. So I guess what I'm saying there, and there's a lot of factors that will play into it. You can have 
tough environments that the kids come from and they can just simply be factors that are like that are out of your control so there may not be an emphasis on some of the families they just may not be educationally focused you can have a lot high turnover in a lot of schools where kids are in and out they might not ever finish uh, I forget the number, one of the schools I taught at, but there were very few kids. I remember asking the grade six kids who'd started here in prep and out of a cohort of 25, there might've been six, you know, so very few kids had gone the distance in just in a primary school. So they're in and out of schools all the time. So there's a whole range of things that will make a difference, but it's, it's a little bit naive and it's a little too simplistic to say that two and two equals four in this situation. It's a combination between the factors that are operating outside the school, but then it is also a combination of the factors that are operating inside a school. And some of those are beyond people's control. It might just be simple bad luck. Yeah, so I think we've got to be wary of it, but there are reasons and there are definitely schools that are tougher than others. Yeah, I think that's good advice, Billy. I think because someone says it's a tough school, I think the first thing to do is don't make any judgments whatsoever. You know, look and listen. Some schools can experience endemic disadvantage. Um, there can be, as you mentioned, generational issues I- impacting on the school. I'm working with schools, remote schools in Victoria at the moment. And some of those schools, it's just things like access to technology, access to resources. The last school I was principal of was pretty tough. And, you know, one of the reasons was because we were so fire affected um, after the, you know, the 2009 uh, sort of bushfires. So they there can be a whole range of reasons. I reckon student turnover is a very good example. Staff turnover. Um, you know, I, I found sometimes uh, newer schools can be tough. Schools in growth corridors that are new might not have an established culture and you are getting huge staff sort of turnover um, and you're not getting a sort of consistency of approach necessarily. Um, I, I think, you know, um, those schools can be tough to work in. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. Ian. In fact, Look, I'm a big believer in the zero to five can make a huge difference with kids. But I also believe the zero to five makes a huge difference in schools. And what I mean by that is if you go, if you're trying to establish a culture in a school and you've got a majority of your staff, and I'll be interested to pick up Terry's point of view on this, and you've got a majority of your staff who haven't been there for four or five years, it's really different, difficult to embed that sort of culture and that consistency. So if you've got a, um, a situation where you, you know, the best intentions in the world, you are trying to establish a really positive culture and you've got all the, the best uh, research behind you and you've got the best research around your teacher practice and your behaviour management practice, your classroom management practice, but that doesn't happen overnight. It takes four or five years, I would say, to turn a lot of that around. And you need that consistency of staff, particularly leadership, to stay there, to, to go the distance and to put in place structures that are going to deal with the kids no matter what they are like when they come in. So that you can pick up and uh, immediately when the prep kid walks in and you just think, right, that family is going to need some support. We've got that structure in place. Now we're going to jump in on that right away and we're going to put in that support so that that we sort of get to the problem before it becomes a problem. So again, I think that zero to five thing, you know, setting up a new school, for example, when you've got, as Terry said, a lot of staff, a lot of turnover, and you might have the very best of intentions, but until those teachers work together, until that community settles itself down a little bit, it's really tough, Terry, isn't it, to establish? Oh, absolutely, Billy, because one of the things, you know, you working at Williamstown and me working in a range of secondary schools, 
I think knowing what other people are going to do and how they're going to react and not having to second guess any of that and and feeling, you know, completely secure in your work, that's something that's just sort of built up over time, I think. And, um, yeah, I think it's a real it's a real challenge, a new, a new school. I know a lot of Tradewind CRTs are working in, in newer schools, in growth corridors, and particularly out the west and northwest. And I think what you're seeing there is you're getting significant staff change over, you're getting a lot of inexperienced teachers uh, working there, not necessarily always experienced school leaders, um, and a lot of diversity and that sort of thing to deal with. And, um, you know, school culture is something that evolves sort of like through experience, and uh, you just can't impose one on a school. No, and it's a bit like we said this morning, Ian, you know, you will learn, um, you know, like I would never do finger painting with preps and let them walk around with them in the breezeway again. I learned that 30 odd years ago. I never did it again. I've never ruined another T-shirt. But you don't learn. There are all the little tricks that you have to go through to pick those things up. And schools uh, that have got either a significant turnover of students or particularly staff, and haven't had time to establish themselves, or you could have a, a school that's going really well for a long period of time. And Terry would be, probably be able to talk to this more than me. So Terry moves into the school that he was at post uh, the fires, a disaster situation, but over a period of time, gradually builds the leadership team that he needs, gradually settles the staff down again so that you see the improvement over a period of time. But then you know, people need to move on and they go. And so suddenly you have this great turnover again and the school's got to re, restart again, if you like. They've got to rebuild that culture. So it's quite, um, it, it's it's easy. As I said, we, we're working on how the schools end up in that situation. So it can be socioeconomic, it can be a whole range of factors. But one of the things that will probably uh, ameliorate the difficulty is a school that's strongly led and has had time to build its culture, but that's not always the case. And as you say, quite a lot of our CRTs actually have to work in schools that have that difficulty. And I would say a lot of our CRTs would say uh, they've been to tough schools, but if those tough schools are sort of well run and they're sort of got really tight sort of cultural structures in them, they're actually not bad places to work. They're still tough schools to work in, but there's something more, there's something predictable about them. The ones that are sort of that loose, tough, where anything could happen uh, and you're never quite sure where you're standing, they're probably the worst, um, worst, or well, the most difficult to work in. Yeah, look, I cut my teeth in the North, Billy, um, probably, you know, initially taught for 20, 25 years in, in northern suburbs uh, in Melbourne. Um, yeah, look, it, it was challenging, but I felt that... Um, it was very, very worthwhile. I learnt enormous amount. Um, I think I was felt always felt that I was making a difference, um, and the work we were doing was worthwhile. I was working with you know a lot of other capable people. There was sort of so much to learn. But like a lot of the kids I was working with, um, their parents hadn't had a lot of education. If they had gone on to further education, they would have been the first one in their family ever to go on and do anything. And even just sort of getting to that point with young people, it's a, you get an enormous sense of achievement. Yeah. And mine, you know, um, don't uh, stereotype people. Don't pigeonhole, pigeonhole people. Accept what you've got. It may be different to what you might have expected, but there, and I think this is the crux of it, Ian, and I think Terry would know this better than me. Uh, there is good in all of those communities and there is good in, uh, in all those kids. And in fact, 
I think I said the other day, one of the teachers, one of the principals I worked with said, if you don't like the kid, you haven't got to know him well enough yet. And I've, I've yet to be proved that that's wrong. There's always something decent about every single kid you teach. But of course, the problem for CRTs is you only often get one day or two days. And some kids, it's a little hard for them to show their best side in a day. Well, I think that's a really important point that we've talked about there is how complex the structural societal influences are of, of a school, most of which are outside of a school's control. But that culture issue is really important, leadership in a school. And true that about stereotyping, I, I did all of my teacher placements when I was at training to teach in one of the poorest communities in Western Europe. And some of the schools and the students were the most delightful, brilliant students that you could ever work with. Some weren't. Um, but it's it's about that balance, isn't it? You know, and finding a school that's suitable for your teaching style as well. Um, but you have to feel supported in when you're teaching in a tough environment. A vet made a good point in the chat as well that it's important not to make a distinction to say, well, a state school might in this area might be this, and a private school in this area might be that, because frankly, in the private sector, you go into tough environments as well might be a bit of a different reason and as you say Billy different outcomes um, but it can be equally as a challenging to to be teaching regardless of the setting. That's a great point and um, look Billy's alluded to this too but I think um, you know, I've sort of picked it up in not so many words in some of the chat too but I think um, some schools can be tough because the kids are indifferent to you. Um, if you want to if you're a really tough school um, one of the rewarding things about working there is you'll know exactly what those kids are thinking 24-7. You'll be getting immediate feedback. You might not like what they're thinking, but you'll never die wondering. Whereas in other schools, um, and I was principal of an eastern suburb school too, besides a couple in the north and northwest, but I always found the kids were a little bit more indifferent to teachers and school leaders. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just the nature of it. Yeah, just one reflection I'll, I'll, uh, or one observation even that I can give you some feedback from, as I said, you know, I don't want to keep talking, but I do train people that go into schools right across Victoria. So they, they teach as many year 10 kids as they possibly can during the year. Last year, different, obviously, but uh, even then they went online. One of the observations that they had, and I would concur with this, when they arrived at the school to deliver their curriculum on that particular day, all, all high schools and all from private, the most expensive private school you go to, to the most disadvantaged state school or even perhaps disadvantaged uh, private school that you could go to. The one thing that they said was you could almost tell from the moment you walked in what your session was going to be like. And that is if you were treated with respect by the office staff and the teachers and perhaps the students if you came across them, if they knew you were coming and they were ready for the day, no matter whether the school was tough or not, you were going to have a decent day. If they were a bit like Terry said, if they were indifferent and looked at you like, oh, who are you? What are you here for? Oh, okay, well, all right, we'll just sit there, would you? And they were here talking about some of your higher paying private schools. If that was the attitude they took towards you, then as Terry said, the kids quite often were disrespectful and they were difficult and it was an unenjoyable day for those people. So, you know, I, I think, again, without, you know, overly stereotyping, that ran the gamut of all of the, the, uh, um, the schools from the most expensive to the most disadvantaged. And the, the key was uh, they would, they'd notice and feedback to me, it was the respect and the uh, management of the school that was evident in the first lot of people that you met 
uh, that would tend to indicate what the kids were like more so than the suburb. You can tell so much about just walking in a reception area of a school. It's almost like uh, when you're looking for a house or a rental property or something and you walk in and you're like, no, I, this isn't for me. And you kind of know straight away. You de definitely develop that uh, sixth sense as a, as a relief teacher. So we've talked a bit about those structural things that do have a positive or negative effect or have some effect on a uh, school cohort and so on. They're, they can be quite dynamic as well. Um, but in terms of thriving in a tough environment, we're not necessarily talking about schools that are badly managed. We're talking about schools where students' behavior is going to be a challenge, that it might not be as well resourced, perhaps. What's the starting point if I have a day because often let, let's be frank about it that we might not know it's a tough school until we've actually had a day there and we're dri driving home or on the train home thinking that was quite a tough day <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I want to go back there look I think one thing you have to concede from the start is that not all schools are going to suit you so don't take it personally if you end up uh, there are plenty of schools I would walk into and think I would not want to go back to that place ever again and that's fine. Now, you may not have that luxury as a CRT, but nonetheless, you have that luxury as a person uh, and just think, well, right, well, I have to do this. This is the job that I'm taking on at the moment. But m remove that from your personality. It's quite okay not to like it some environment. So I think, that's, I think that's where you really have to start. Now, you know, Terry and I are pro pro probably similar, but there'll be certain things that he would probably f prefer to take on than I would. I don't mind saying right up front, I wouldn't want to be in a really highly structured, uh, high-paying private school. It's not my thing. Uh, I don't, I'm sure the kids there are fantastic. A lot of the kids that I taught in the primary school went on to those sort of environments. But just in terms of me and my teaching career, it wasn't a priority to work in those schools and I didn't really want to do that. That's no reflection on me and it's absolutely no reflection on the schools. Uh, that's just how it is. And I think that that's fine. It's like, you know, we don't all like the same food. We don't all like the same drinks. It's not a reflection on our personality. It's, um, it's just, you are, we have preferences. We don't all like the same TV shows. So I think that's one of your first starting points is you may or may not like working in some of those environments. Sometimes you just have to work in those environments. And we'll talk about how you can manage that as well. But try to remove the personal affront or the personal disappointment or uh, this is frustrating because I'm not getting my own way. Yeah, you won't sometimes. And that's just the way it is in those schools. But just try to not get too upset by what uh, eventuates. Would you agree with that, Terry? Oh, yeah, I think so, Billy. Don't take it personally. It's not about you. Get back to 101. You know, it's about building relationships, I think, and trying to build trust with these kids. It can only happen over time. Reflect on your life, own life experience, I think because that, that that can be really useful and um you know what sort of other work might you have done with young people you know is there any sort of volunteer work that you've done you know how have you how else have you been exposed to young people in the community what sort of other activities have you been involved in in the community because sometimes uh, they're much more useful uh in terms of um you know building up a skill set of working with young people anything you might have done formally through uh teacher education the other thing Ian, I think is really important, I think, and this is not easy, but I think it's important, is to try to work out what is it that's making this school tough for you? Because you can look around you sometimes and sometimes you look into the room next door 
And the kids aren't that much different, but the person seems to be quite enjoying it. I was in a specialist school and I was uh, doing some research with some work on trade wind. And they were telling, I said to them, what's one of the most important things that you want me to tell the CRTs? If we're going to have CRTs working at your school, what do they need to be like? And they said not to take it personal and to make sure they bring a sense of humour. It's, um, yeah, I think you can look around and sort of see other people are coping really well. So you've got to try to work out, okay, so what what is this environment that's tough? What am I finding that's tough about this? Because when you start to define what the toughness is, is it the children's behaviour? Well, there's a couple of things I'd find very difficult really violent behaviour I'd find difficult, but I really don't like really uh, sort of arrogant, disrespectful behaviour. So I'd be trying to work out what is it that's getting under my skin here a bit, okay? So how can I adjust myself to that? And then what expectations am I going to set in that environment? So I think what you've got to do is to, first of all, try to work out what it is that's making it tough for you. Um, And then, of course, once you've assessed that, you think, all right, so what are my expectations and what are my standards? Because, you know, I I would never go into a school and put up with, say, uh, violence, one apart from the child safety things, but also I I wouldn't put up with kids, you know, demeaning, bullying other kids. I would just absolutely draw the line there. So, you know, you can say what you like to me, but I won't accept that. So try to work out where you sit, uh, why it's tough, why you're finding it difficult, and then how are you going to adjust your expectations and your behaviour? And I think sep- and separating um, the behaviour from the student, I found, uh, is, is, is vital in a sort of secondary setting too, that you can still maintain a really good positive relationship with kids, even though you might be, um, you know, challenging their behaviour and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and for kids who do exhibit these challenging behaviours, I think one of the biggest challenges for a teacher is actually catching them being good because what those kids need is they need positive reinforcement. They want attention. Um, they're only getting negative. So if you you know get the binoculars out and if you can catch them being good um, and, um, you know, give them some positive reinforcement there, I think that can be absolutely invaluable too. On that note, in terms of catching people doing something good, I think one of the strategies that's been really effective in, in my teaching career was being able to wipe the slate clean for, for students, being able to reset. And with the most challenging students, you might need to press that reset button every two or three minutes. Uh, you're not talking, you know, you literally divide up a lesson into quarters and focus on just, okay, let's try and do a good job for the next five minutes. Let's try and do a job. And then deal with the behavior, set the expectation, deal with it, but then move on. Uh, don't uh, let behaviors accumulate uh, and don't say, oh, well, you did this and then you did this and then you did this and then you did this because it's you're just putting a child on a pathway to failure. Uh, and I think being able to wipe the slate clean and reset yourself as well after recess, after lunchtime, f- you know, do something that's going to make you feel better, fresher, making sure that you just approach each task in your role in a intense and deliberate way that you're going to get the best out of it, that you can press that reset button, Billy. We've spoken a lot about big picture stuff here, and that's fine. And uh, But I think probably we now need to, yeah, as you do, get a little bit more focused on what you're actually, how you're going to manage this in the classroom. And I think that that's, again, really important. We spoke this morning about preparation and, you know, knowing where the school is, getting there on time, you know, 
asking all the right questions, you're getting yourself set up for the day. And the preparation in dealing with difficult schools is really around um, your attitude. And one of the things that you really have to do is to just, to, uh, I suppose, find that you've, um, it's much easier to work from the high moral ground. And what I mean by that is, if you've put all the right things in place, so you, you have got there early, um, you are prepared, you're ready to teach, you're really positive about it, uh, you've asked all the right questions, you've even done all the right early intervention things, you know, if someone's, if the kids are being difficult, you've moved over, in, you know, so you're in the, uh, in the area, you've, you've, you've absolutely to the letter followed the school's uh, school behaviour management plan. It's much easier to reset and to be more positive if you're doing all the right things. There's some um, sort of indefinable, in, 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 intangible sort of thing that uh, undercuts you or undermines you if you've uh, taken shortcuts. So if you've turned up late, you haven't prepared anything, you've told the kids to just to carry on with the work that we're doing, and then suddenly one kid's about to throw a chair at another, it's suddenly like, oh God, I shouldn't have done that. And you're suddenly like, oh God, I'm trying to now catch up for my mistakes. So I think, and, and you know, people might think, oh, I wouldn't, but you do, you know, it, it's like if you do all the right things, you put all the right things in place and something goes wrong, there's some sort of calmness that you can bring. If something goes wrong and you look back and think, yeah, that's because I mucked this up and I shouldn't have done that, it just makes it so much more difficult. So I think what you've got to do is still stick to basic good practice. And then if you've stuck and you've done all the right things, when things do go awry, um, that you can, you know, it's a bit like if you just said to the kids, right, off to school, onto the bus, they run out the door, they trip someone over and then there's a fight and there's someone gets punched. The problem is you let them run to the bus. However, if you completely manage the situation and there's still a fight, you've got a completely different view of it. So I think, again, you've got to get all the all the, all your ducks lined up, get them all in a row. Something goes wrong, well, that something goes wrong and you can deal with it. But don't go in there. Don't muck things up for a start. Yeah, look, I think um, certainly with secondary kids, uh, one of the things to recognise is that... Uh, and my assistant principal used to say this at, uh, at Whittlesea and she was spot on. People are coming and complain about the kids and uh, she'd say, well, they're on a journey. And uh, <laughs> she was right. They were on a journey. And um, for some of them, it's a very, very long journey and it can take even longer than they are at secondary school. But at times we need to, um, you know, realise that cut kids a bit of slack. They're going to they're gonna make every mistake in the book. That's how, that's how they're learning. We're, we're there to support them in their learning too. I think it's also important to debrief with other people at the school, um, sometimes other CRTs, if there's a group of you there or other staff at the school, uh, not in any way uh, uh, just about bitching about the kids. But I just think, you know, maybe talk through some of your experiences, some serious reflection in terms of how can I improve, but also just um, schools are the funniest places in the world, Billy and Ian, I think. Um, there's so, you know, so many million interactions that happen there every day. Now, most of those interactions are positive and a hell of a lot of them are incredibly humorous and funny because we are dealing with young people. Sure, look, 5% of them are a nightmare to deal with and we spend our whole day trying to manage those. But um, schools are, by and large, wonderful places in which to work. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing. Uh, it, again, it's all about attitude. And we want to concede right now um, to every CRT who's listening we don't for a moment pretend that you can go out there and rearrange a, a tough school. 
I mean, you are not going to do it. The very best minds in the world. There's been TV shows made about it. There's, um, there's you know, countless books written on it. You know, if it, it's not easy. So, and, and the best you can do, and that's what we're talking about today, is how you can, well, we say thrive, but how you can basically get through and have a decent day in a school that's a tough environment. And as Terry keeps, you know, we keep talking about, it largely more comes back to you. You are, you know, you're not going to suddenly turn a student around in year nine that might have been having behavioural difficulties since he was in grade three, right? You are, you know, they are on a journey and it's not going to turn around. And no matter, uh, you can put your undies on the outside of your pants and wear a cape if you want to, but it's, you, you're probably not going to, it's just not going to work. So what you've got to do is to try to work out how am I going to get the best out of this? How am I going to give the majority of the kids the best possible day? And one of the things I would definitely do, there are some strategies and I'll talk about them, but if the school has a behaviour management policy, definitely follow it and follow it to the letter. And then if it gets to the point where the kid has just completely crossed the line, you've got to concede that, you know, I, I need help here. I need to get other people involved here because I would definitely expect that of my staff members. Sometimes some kids just got to the point where they were, it was just um, irretrievable and they needed to call on me as the uh, co-principal or assistant principal to go and sit, sort the situation out. And, and that's just what happens. You, you, you can't expect to, um, you're not Superman or Superwoman in the CRT role. And I don't think any school really expects that. You have to have high expectations of the students to succeed in a tough environment. But that doesn't mean that you have unrealistic expectations. Uh, you, you have to set your expectation to the environment, to the students. Uh, and your expectation might be that you are keeping everybody safe for a lesson. Uh, that you keep them children engaged or you keep them whatever it is but have that high expectation and try to meet that expectation but don't be unrealistic as you say Billy you can't change the system you can't change what's happening outside of school you're not going to change any endemic structural um, problems with the school you are a relief teacher you're trying your best but you are limited in your scope but just focus in the students in front of you. You can't go in there and expect these kids who have come from all different backgrounds. You might have um, kids in a primary school, for example, that have only been in the school for three weeks and that might be their third primary school for the year. You know, they're not, uh, any kid is going to be somewhat uh, up and down in that sort of environment. So try to assess what the situation is. What's a realistic outcome that we can all work towards and that might have to, and you can differentiate. Some kids might really want to get on with their work and that's great. It might just be enough to keep uh, Louie in his seat, relatively happy and not punching the kid next to him. That might be his expectation for you just to get him settled for the first bit of the morning, to learn his name and to find out a little bit about it. And that might be okay. So as I said, we're not talking about, this session's not about how do I change a tough school because you can't it's about how can you work well in a tough school so set realistic expectations and aim for them and i'll talk in a minute about some strategies about things particularly not to do but one is to make sure that your expectations of the kids is not outrageous you are not going to run 10ks if you haven't been out the door for 10 years yeah look that's great advice and i think billy sometimes the most difficult person we deal with in a school is us yeah. I think, and if we can manage ourselves well and have, you know, real realistic expectations, that's a great start. Otherwise, we can be setting ourselves up to fail. 
So a few things to avoid, and I think this even applies, probably, I might, as you know, my background's primary, but Terry will probably know this better than I, but don't escalate the conflict. So don't stop the lesson and begin a diatribe with someone who's playing up. You know, just state really calmly, um, Ian, I've asked you before, you really need to sit down now and I'll, I'm, I'm happy to come over and I'll, we'll work through this again together, right? Don't boom out, right, stop. Everyone, I've had enough of this. Ian, who do you think you... Right? That is, that's never going to work. That's a failure. You're setting up to fail, right? So deal with Ian on his own. Deal with him really calmly. If he still won't, and someone asked the question this morning, uh, what do you do if they don't sit down? If Ian becomes a danger to someone else uh, or himself, then you need to be as firm as you possibly can without trying to be too interruptive of everybody else. At some point, you need to write that down. And at some point, if Ian's running around the classroom potentially dangerous, you need to get some help. It's as simple as that. Don't be afraid of that. If you, you, you know, I, I had a kid once that was uh, had a chair in his hand and was about to throw it at the rest of the kids. So what did I do? I asked the rest of the kids to leave the room. And they did quickly. And then he threw the chair at me. But that's okay. So, you know, you've got to work with what you've got. Yeah, look, that's such good advice. And I, Billy, as a school leader, sometimes it used to frustrate me that you wanted to support the teacher and you were dealing with a, a significant incident of student misbehaviour, but the incident became about how the teacher responded yes. rather than how the student behaved. Um, and that, that can be a little frustrating. So just, you know, just, just be aware of that. Make sure, as you say, that your response is proportionate. And uh, I think that... Uh, you know, the suggestion about not escalating is absolutely critical. Yeah, so a few things around escalating that make it dangerous. And I know it's very hard not to do this when you've had a really tricky day and suddenly uh, Ian decides to do a bit of work it's, and then you, you, you're sarcastic. You say, oh, nice to see you doing something, Ian. You know, don't do that. You, you know, it, it's, it's just inflammatory. And as Terry said, uh, you know, when it gets to the point of the principal has to intervene and he thinks, oh, God, well, in the end, you set this kid off. So try to keep those things and, and certainly uh, abuse and personal comments. Try to keep all of that away. Try to keep it as calm as you can. If the kid gets to the point that he is completely out of control, it's quite legitimate to ask for assistance. In fact, I can guarantee you, Terry, and you would know better than me as a secondary principal, if, um, you know, someone sent over and said, uh, oh, um, someone's asked because Ian's doing something, you won't go, oh, Ian, I can't believe he was so naughty. You'd be like, yeah, well, yeah, I knew that was going to happen at some point, wouldn't you? Oh, look, absolutely. And if you've got a CRT in a classroom with a range of challenging kids, then um, the level coordinators and the teachers who are working around that teacher will have eyes and ears out anyway. So, you know, hopefully... Uh, they'll be around, um, you know, in a non-obvious sort of way where they can sort of, um, you know, intervene or wander in and, and, and see how you're going. But the other point you made before, Billy, is critical, and that is the ability to um, separate the student from the behaviour. And I think that's that can help when you're trying, you know, not to escalate a situation. Don't personalise those comments. comments, just keep them uh, simple and keep them about the behaviour that we're trying to address and, and don't get into, uh, you know, any sort of argument 
you know, with the student that's on a, along personal lines, um, like you uh, mentioned before? Yeah, it's probably less of a thing that we had to do in primary schools, Terry, but I know in secondary schools, you often talk um, a bit about de-escalating issues. Yeah. And um, have you got any tips that, you know, how you, you know, if you can see a kid or a, a group of kids might be getting out of control there. It hasn't quite got to the point yet that you need to get assistance, but how, what are some of the things you might be able to do to de-escalate a, a situation? Yeah, look, I think um, try and try, change the dynamic, try and neutralise the situation. Always were, always at the back of my mind, I'd be having uh, there, you know, I'd be thinking about, well, what's actually going well in the classroom, you know, that I can draw kids' attentions to, um, and, and sort of focus on that and, and create a bit of a distraction away from what's not going well, or I can, uh, I think the the ability sometimes to even intervene just quietly on a personal level, I think a one-to-one with some of these kids, don't get into a situation where, you know, um, you're challenging kids as a group. Um, I think, you know, one, ideally two is enough, you know, you're not going to win anything else, but um you know, I just think look for opportunities to, you know, keep things neutral. Try and avoid raising your voice and giving an indication that um, things are not going really well. That's okay to do it every so often. You know, hey, um, you can yell at kids every three weeks. It's a great tactic. But if that's your go-to in terms of yelling, you know, if you're moving to that position too quickly, then you're never going to achieve uh, anything at all. And I love teaching. I, I taught right till the end of my career as well as sitting in the office. I reckon you've got about uh, one or two yells a term. Yep. And after that, it's uh, it doesn't have any impact at all. Um, and you would often you often walk past the rooms and some people are just in that constant up there. And all that produces is the kids are constantly up there too. So they all yell. You know, they all turn up at school. Well, and where do you go, Billy, if things get worse? <laughs> so yelling's not good. Again, I don't want to harp on it, and I know it sounds like we're ignoring the difficulty of it, but a lot of this is all about preparation and early intervention. So if you can sort of see things that are about to get out of hand, whatever you do, do not ignore those, particularly in those tough schools. As I said, try to assess what's making it tough. So try to get in there early, but don't be afraid of if you've put all the right things in place and you've got that sort of, as I said, moral high ground or you've just done all the right work and... And if things do get escalate, because sometimes they'll escalate without you uh, being the cause at all. And that may be there can be two feuding families. Now, I've worked in schools where that's happened and those kids are in, unfortunately in the same grade. And every time, every now and then there will be a flare up, which is completely out of my control. I've just got to be able to manage that. So there's a lot of times when th- or there's a history of behaviours that you know nothing about prior to you arriving there. So again, don't take it personally. Uh, try to keep as calm as you can. Do all the right things as much as you can. Take that sense of humour, and but be aware at some point it will cross the line. If it crosses the line, then it's absolutely completely legitimate to get help. And in, in our school, Terry, what we used to do quite often is, particularly if we had one or two kids that were particularly tricky, we often would take them out of the class because um, we realised that the other 24 kids were going to have a bad day, not because the CRT was a problem, but because those two were just going to make it difficult for everybody. And, you know, as I said, the schools know what their difficult kids are like. They will be there to support you. So the principal will walk around or the 
um, the AP or the uh, head of department or whatever will be wandering around just keeping an eye on things and they won't be surprised if you know a, a, a tough kid has a tough day. Yeah, and look, I think you're right. Look, there can be pre-existing tensions that have got nothing to do with us that can sort of flare, flare up. And the other thing that I like is um, teachers that introduce themselves to those who are teaching around them. And, um, you know, that's where just being there early, getting to meet a few people in the staff room, getting to your classroom early. Um, because if you start talking to other staff, you know, um, and they know what class you've got, that, that they can mention something at times that can be helpful or they can say, say to you, look, you know, if you tap on the door or the window, I'll pop my head in. Um, yeah, without sort of being intrusive. Ian, I'd just like to uh, draw attention now to talk roughly, um, briefly rather, about a few types. And again, you know, let's be wary of stereotypes, but there, you do get the odd type in a classroom. And if you muck up the way that you deal with them, you can uh, cause a problem. So take, for example, the class clown, you know, the one that's going to have the, the funny comments. And, you know, quite often I've found the class clown to be rather amusing myself, you know. Um, You've just got to try to uh, strike a balance there uh, in terms of um, if you if you overly shut down the class clown right from the very start, it can turn the rest of the kids off, and they might think, "Well, I'm not going to say anything for the rest of the day either." I'm not, you know, and I don't like this guy now because uh, you know they quite often like the you know not to the point, but you might quietly say, "Look." That's, uh, and I'm talking mainly in a primary school uh, situation. You might say, that, "Look, that was reasonably funny sort of situation," but just remember, I can't have you cracking jokes all day, but if you've got something funny to say, one or two every now and then is not too bad, or just tell me privately. So I think that's the way, you know, you've got to acknowledge that that kid's going to find that almost um, uh, irrepressible humour that they've got is going to come out. Don't overly shut it down because you can turn everybody else off. Is that the same in a secondary situation, Terry? Yeah, I think so. Um, absolutely, Billy. Knowing the kids... Um... I think, and uh, yeah, look, hey, we all like a bit of humour. Um, it's 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 good, um, but I think it's a, it's a matter where when it takes away from the lesson and you know um, stops everybody else from from doing their their work. But I think if you can use it sort of usefully at times, then you can just pull the kids back in, reset, and sort of uh, get on with things. So I think you got to be careful. Yeah, if you're shutting kids down all the time, then they they will possibly even try and escalate themselves so you've got to you've got to work out you know what's fair and reasonable in terms of uh, giving them a hearing yeah the other one is of course around late arrivals uh and you know i've always found it's best to just uh write uh in welcome right well i'm here i'm here today good just we've already started this so i'll be able to help you straight away don't do the old uh where have you been why are you late you've got no idea why it is i mean you know in a primary setting that you know the kid comes from a disadvantaged background you don't know what's going on there in the morning. You, any, you just don't understand the background of those things. So be even perhaps even more welcoming because even the most confident of, confident of us don't like to turn up and walk into a big social situation when you're late and when all the attention turns to you. So just try to get things underway. Try to normalise it as quick as you can. Don't, again, turn it into an issue because you don't really know why it is. And I'd imagine in secondary schools that had happened as well. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Billy, smile at the kid, welcome him to the class, um, you know, get them settled down. Um, and when you get a chance, go and spend a little bit of time with them because more often than not, there will be a reason. I know we've got kids who, you know, 
might be latecomers, but the system picks up on them very, very quickly. But in terms of managing in a class, I think um, don't make too many judgments, just get them in there and settle them down. Yeah. The other one that you often battle against in these environments, Ian, are the, is the noisy class. And uh, I wasn't a great fan of the noisy class, but quite often, um, you know, some teachers, as I said, they, they operate at a noisy level. And I guess my test on that was always, are the kids working? Is it a productive learning environment? And if it is, you might just have to accommodate that noise because if they're learning, and but they just happen to be noisy and chatty, but they're actually on task, trying to shut that down, again, could create a problem that you don't already have. So, you know, it may not be your preference to have kids talking a lot and moving around or whatever, but if it's an on task, if they're actually learning, they're on task and they're contributing, that just may be the system that they work with normally. And you trying to change that in a day is actually going to um, uh, make things even more difficult for you. Yeah, we're coming close to the end of the session. If anybody does have any further questions, just put, pop them in the Q&A. We've got a couple of comments and got a former principal who is attending today. He just said they worked in a in a so-called tough school um, where several teachers were unable to cope with the environment um, because perhaps they came from a, a different environment themselves. It can be a bit tricky to, you know, if you don't have experience of a certain environment or a culture or socioeconomic background that that can be a difficult transition sometimes um, we do have a question just around what is the best practice in terms of if you've got a difficult group of students do you ask the teacher next door for help as a relief teacher it can be a bit of a difficult thing because do you just uh, put up with it and follow the procedures and policies that and if they don't work do you keep calling on the teacher next door? You know, if you call on them too much, it might reflect badly on you. Um, what is the kind of etiquette or um, what, what's the guidance on that for a relief teacher in that difficult situation? Give you a situation in the primary school is if it's a full class thing, then I think what you're best to do is to negotiate as well as you can uh, until the next break and then go and ask for, because you, you go just ducking next door every two or three minutes is really difficult. Um, it's difficult. One, you're being really, you're interrupting the other person's class and you can't have a, a decent conversation in two or three minutes about that sort of issue. So if it's an individual student that's, that's gone to the point where it's unacceptable, it's, it's uh, either safe, unsafe or, or threatening for other kids or himself or herself, then you can call for individual assistance by getting someone from the office or next, next door if it's a general poor behavior uncooperative difficulty i would suggest so there's no one particularly out of line but it's just all very difficult i would suggest to try to get to the next break which is only worst case scenario an hour and a bit away and then try to have it get some assistance and just try to get some background try to reset your expectations perhaps then do the right i'll get there early i won't let them into the class till we settle down we might draw the line after that previous session, right, let's start again and be very conscious about early intervention. Because again, you, you're not quite sure of the setup. You know, you could be the, um, it could be Friday and you could be the fifth CRT they've had. Yeah, great point. And look, I think the thing is in reality, we, um, 
we all aspire to be effective self-managing teachers, but there'll be situations that we encounter that we just got to make a judgment. Am I going to learn more by um, working my way through this with, with these students? And um, you know, I'm being paid to manage them, therefore I'll try and manage them and learn as much as I can. Or if I, if I need assistance, I think the key thing is if you need assistance, then when it's all over, I think you need to really reflect on, well, if, when that happens again, how am I going to respond? How can I improve the quality of my response other than get assistance? I think that's a key. I've got a final question for you both here. I've gone to a school as a relief teacher. I've been uh, threatened. I've had uh, some industrial language used towards me. It hasn't gone as well as I expected. Why should I go back? I would actually say there is reward in going back, isn't it? If you have a tough experience in a tough school, that there is reward. It does get better, doesn't it? it? It can get better. Sometimes it might just be not for you and the conditions, you know, if you feel a genuine threat to your safety or well-being, then yeah, don't go back. That's a, that's a very clear point. But if it's kind of lower level stuff, it's been a tough, emotionally demanding day. Is there any value in going back to a school? Uh, it's about that reflection thing that Terry talks about. You have to make a professional, mature adult assessment of why that situation came about. And in the end, if you can honestly look yourself in the mirror, use a cliche, and say, I did everything that I possibly could. I did it as well as I could. I followed all the things that I know about. I've learned things along the way. In the end, I'm just not that sort of person. Then... So, so be it. But if it's like, I might've made a few blues, I'd like to give this another go, then by all means, sign up and go back. But I think you've got to make mature professional decisions about you and what you can manage. Yeah, look, good advice and I think great answer. And I think like if you're going to teach for 20, 25 years or more, this might just be all part of life's, you know, rich tapestry. This is how we learn. It's a journey as much for teachers as it is for students. But I think your best place to make that decision about what you need to shield yourself from and um, whether or not you're resilient enough to go back in there and, uh, and have another go. Yeah, I think there's certainly a lot to be um, gained. You know, I suppose it's about an attitudinal thing, isn't it, about your approach and so on. Um, and just a bit of advice as well for relief teachers. If you're teaching in a tough school, if you have a longer term place or you're going um, back in tough environments, you do have to um, factor in some breaks for yourself as well. You know, taking a day off uh, now and again, also um, accessing the free uh, counselling service through Karanish that Tradewind offer as well, which is on the bottom of the Zoom email, the automated email. All of those things that you can do to look after your own well-being because you do need to be fit, healthy, strong of mind to succeed in these environments. Um, so I think that's a really important point. Can I just jump in there, Ian, too? I want to just put the caveat on all of this, and Terry, I'm sure, would agree with this. We are talking very much here from the CRT experience in one or so days, but don't let that necessarily turn you off a tough school environment because when you're there over a longer period of time working as a team to uh, build a culture, it's quite a different experience again, isn't it, Terry? Oh, look, yeah, absolutely, Billy. And I think what, what you get there is the the quality of the staff support 
I think is is a key which you can't always logically experience as a CRT, but um, that's um, makes a big difference I think in terms of you know um, how you cope with working in a tough school. Yeah, so you know we, we've we've definitely unapologetically run this from what's it like going in for one day to a tough school, but don't let that necessarily turn you off a tough school because working with other people to achieve outcomes in difficult environments can be really rewarding. So, yeah, I, I don't want to um, make it look as though, you know, we're not, don't go. It's just that be aware when you're there on your own for one day, it can be tricky. Yeah, and look, the more challenging situations that you're prepared to put yourself in, ultimately the better teacher you'll become. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Thank you to Rhiannon who's just shared uh, that they had a bad experience at a tough school honestly didn't want to go back the following day but did had a positive experience uh, and have been back to that school several times since so it, it is probably important to you know not just judge a school on on one day as well uh, if that's possible I'll just finish with uh, I was telling you just before we uh, went live with the webinar I was watching a, a short clip from the TV show Educating Yorkshire which is about turning around a, a tough school and what one of the teachers he went over in the canteen and said to these boys now you need to uh, tidy up this uh, after you leave today I don't want to see any mess on this table and he leant on a radiator back and he pulled up his hand and coming from his hand was warm chewing gum and it, he'd already he'd got the attention of you know 15 boys and he holds up his hand that, and I was thinking how is he going to deal with this and he just looked at the boys and said high five <laughs> and I thought that was a very good example of using humor to diffuse a potentially embarrassing situation so keep keep that sense of humor uh thank you everybody for joining us and please do record this as part of your VIT professional development uh use the guidance on the VIT website uh and the Australian teaching standards to reflect upon how this session has improved your practice Thank you, Billy and Terry. Thanks, 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 Billy. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours if you need any help or support as a relief teacher please get in touch with us at tradewind through our website or call us on 1800 192 195 thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of australia's leading relief teaching podcast